Welcome to Future Thinking with Stylus. I'm Christian Ward, Head of Media and Marketing at Stylus. And today we're going to be talking about the diversification and democratization of food, flavor, cooking, dining, and all points in between. And here to discuss this, I'm joined by Tom Hay, Head of the Roastery, which is a speciality coffee space in the Tate in London. And Anna Amazing, Stylus' own Head of Food, Beverage and Hospitality. So, Thomas, first off, can you tell us a bit more about your role at the Tate? Um, Because you've used the Roastery, I believe, as a base to launch a number of really interesting community initiatives. We run a non-profit roastery roastery space at Tate Britain in which we engage with the topics of accessibility and community in in a number of different ways. Um, Primarily, this exists in our coffee chains. We kind of source and roast coffee for the gallery uh, throughout Latin America working with a gender equality coffee project that we set up three years ago. Um, But we also have a a community slot roasting space in which we invite other professionals to come use our equipment, uh, lean on our expertise and roast their own coffee. Wow, brilliant. So let's talk about this idea of the democratisation of skills and knowledge. Um, The coffee world can feel quite technical and inaccessible, a bit like the wine world, I suppose. How do you break those barriers down? So um, that's a really good question. I think the the coffee industry tends to be quite intimidating, um, both in consuming cultures, but also in producing cultures as well. I think um, what we try and do at the roastery is um, create accessibility throughout the lexicon of coffee, but also remove barriers to the knowledge and tools in which people need to roast their own coffee and understand coffee as well. So we do this uh, primarily through our open access roasting community. Um, we have a platform and a and a space at Tate where we create um, equity through um, creating a more understandable, accessible way of approaching coffee. Um, coffee is quite a technical product. We talk about coffee in terms of quality. And that's broken down uh, by the Specialty Coffee Association into lots of different characteristics. Um, so we talk about fragrance and aroma, flavor, aftertaste, acidity, body, balance in coffee. And these things are all quite hard to understand in a beverage. So we have kind of an open um, discussion with a lot of people coming into our roastery. So we're calibrated in regards to understanding. But also the financial and kind of knowledge-based barriers that go into roasting coffee as well can create kind of hindrances for people accessing different levels of the the industry. So we try and have an ego-free zone where we have an unpretentious kind of space where people can ask maybe like the questions they don't feel comfortable asking in other areas of the industry, I think. Um, And over in the production level, uh, we work in Latin America primarily trying to engage with um, members of producing communities who exist on the peripheries in marginalised areas of producing communities who potentially find barriers to accessing institutions in post-harvesting and producing coffee. Um, So we try and remove our um, expectations of quality in a sense um, to try and bridge the gaps of inequity within our produ- production chains, but also within our community here in London. And 
What's the, so what's the impact been of this? I mean, maybe you can talk about it in terms of the individual response you get at the Tate and, and maybe a more sort of macro idea about what difference you think is being made. Yeah, so we set up the roastery in 2011. Um, this was in an effort to create more transparency in, in the coffee chain that we work with. Um, and I joined three years ago. Um, when I joined, I found that the um, the range of coffees that Tate had was very good, but it lacked a little bit of intentionality. So I think by readdressing our structure in sourcing coffee and address it like approaching coffee as a product, um, we've been able to completely redefine where we stand in the industry and we've kind of got our own niche in a sense. Um, we have a more defined approach to sourcing coffee, which gives us more intention. Um, we've also seen direct correlations between reducing inequity and inequality and the quality of our coffee. Um, that's both in terms of points, cup scores, and as well as uh, coffee flavour and characteristics. Amazing. Who, who, um, who, who gives these cup scores? How is it judged? Yeah, this is quite an interesting concept. So I'm a Q grader. Um, I've been a Q grader for about four years, and this is a qualification that gives me the authority to to deem a coffee um, good quality, bad quality, specialty or commodity. Um, I should be calibrated with the other 2,000 Q graders in, in the world. Um, and we're all trained to approach coffee on a sensory level um, through rig- rigorous kind of uh, training and analysis. What does, so, what does that involve, this rigorous training? Lots of drinking coffee, uh, really. So... We we have to recalibrate every three years and resit for our license um, because the coffee industry is changing so quickly um, in, in terms of innovation and technology. Um, it means that the tapestry of coffee flavor is becoming increasingly diverse. Um, so we're being challenged as tasters. Um, and what's very interesting is that the change is happening over at Coffee Producing Origins rather than in Consuming Origins a lot of the time. So who we deem as tastemakers are often is becoming redefined as well. Um, so, yeah, so we, we construct our own understandings of quality in a sense, but I'm also a product of the quality constructs that the Specialty Coffee Association has produced as well. So at the top of this coffee expert pyramid, is there some sort of uh, grand poobah of coffee who uh, who uh, knows exactly what the best coffee is? Uh, maybe, yeah. Um, some kind of overriding puppeteer who's uh, kind of controlling the institutions of quality. I think, for me, um, the coffee industry is, is more of a community vision. I think the, the structures that we have in terms of quality are um, collectively achieved, I think. This is where things, get, I think, get quite interesting because when you look at it from kind of a Marxist point, standpoint, um, there's a paper written by Edward Fisher which which focused on the idea of quality and the mater- the idea of value. So the material value of the plants and the soil um, is interlinked with an idea of quality as well. And when I talk to coffee producers about quality, they talk very much about the aspect of coffee, what the coffee looks like, what it feels like as a, as a plant product. And we talk about quality... In a symbolic way, um, we talk about 
sensory analysis and we use the provenance of of where it comes from and and the narratives of the people who produce it to add quality quality that's symbolic to that product and these two things are kind of uh, a little bit disproportionate because symbolic value has so much more weight financially than than the material value so we're actually trying to redefine our understandings of quality to incorporate the narratives of the producers who have that material value so we're subverting the narrative a little bit that's really interesting i mean that i think that clearly is a strategy that works in lots of different industries not just food and beverage in terms of how you judge quality um anna we we are obviously talking about coffee but the democratization of food is something that you've been uh, writing about at stylus across all different kinds of areas of food and beverage um what trends are you seeing um, that, that, are, that are really relevant right now? I think it's really interesting what um, Tom was saying about this idea of almost like understanding excellence. And I think um, uh, this year we're really going to see a, sort of a, a breakdown or a rethink of what is what is good and how to make things, uh, particularly around you know food and bev, um, t- how, to, how do individuals make great things? What are the drivers that you think is ch- uh, uh, driving this change right now from, from, from this move to experts to more, a more democratised um, approach? I think, I mean, knowledge, knowledge is a real key and I think storytelling and connecting is what is changing. So we used to have people wanting to experience things. So sort of storytelling would be about like an ex- experiential um, idea. So even with cooking or going to a restaurant or travel, it was about having an experience. But now it's definitely much more about connecting with people. Do you think that another one of the drivers behind this is um, a- an increase in more diverse perspectives in in the food and beverage world? Is that something that you're seeing even? And and are you? How do you encourage that? Um, yeah, I do. I think um, for me personally. In, you know in, in my career i've I've come to understand that the way forward in in any industry the sustainability of any industry is is relies on equality and in coffee especially um and probably most kind of agricultural chains gender equality is probably one of the biggest or most important factors of sustainability um I think certain movements around gender justice and women's rights um, such as the Me Too movement has propelled this conversation into more mainstream um, discussion which has been fantastic for the coffee industry I think. There's some really interesting things happening and some amazing companies like Girls Who Grind Coffee um, some really inspiring individuals who are coming forward and showing what can be achieved um, when inequity is reduced within our industry. So you mentioned um, the inequality in the in the coffee industry and the, the production process and so on. Um, could you could you explain to us why historically that's been the case? Um, yes. Yeah, so what I've found through our research and the research that our partner institutions have done, such as the Partnership for Gender Equity, um, deeply rooted cultural and social biases against women exist in in the coffee industry and this is just um something that exists um throughout the globe um statistically 
70% of the work done in the coffee value chain is done by women. However, because it's done at the lower value ends of the the chain, uh, they only own around 15% of the traded beans or the land it's grown on. Um, women also are more likely to suffer from psychological, physical, sexual abuse. They're less likely to have land through inheritance. Uh, they put more of their money back into the families, around 90% than men do. Um, they also have less of a voice at household level, less uh, access to managerial levels, at associations and cooperatives. So the the deck is stacked against women and our range of coffees at Tate, you know, we ensure that at least 70% of the coffees that we buy at any given time are grown by women to truthfully reflect the input of women in, in the coffee chain that we work with. Um, I think undermobilizing half of communities or over half of communities in, in some contexts is never going to achieve sustainability or realize potential. So it's our belief that reducing these inequities and inequalities um, not only redefines our expectations of quality, but can accelerate um, sustainability in the chains that we work with. I think globally, you know, in agriculture, if we um, reduce these inequities, yields can go up by up to 30%. Uh, agro uh, agricultural outputs can be increased by about 4%, which on a global level can solve world hunger. Um, whereas in coffee, you know, amazing things can happen as well. What um, are you able to sort of discuss in a bit more detail how how you um, are looking at equality in the in the work that you do? Yeah. So um, hold on a sec. <coughs> Sorry. Sorry. <laughs> um, my main focus is um, is on our coffee value chain, and over the past three years, we've been trying to research and discover. Um, potential inequities and inequalities that exist within the coffee chain and remove some barriers to see what types of coffee quality exist on the other side of, uh, of this inequity. So we work primarily in Brazil, Colombia, Honduras and Guatemala. Um, we've been involved in projects in, in Honduras. We've, we've set up projects in Brazil. Um, we've been a supporter of projects in, in Guatemala. Um, in collaboration with a lot of other institutions, um, but also individuals. So, sorry, what what do you mean by projects? Like sp quite specifically, what are the so um, the project that we have? It's tricky. It's because it's all in my head. <laughs> it's so <laughs> it's so complex. So um, so there's a project in in Honduras in an area called Copan. This is um, Falcon Specialties' first agronomy project, um, which focuses on creating grassroots um, support through education tools and resources uh, for smallholder coffee producers. Initially, uh, three years ago, there was 22 producers who uh, were a part of this project. Uh, five, five of them were women, and we worked with, with three or four of these women right from the, from the beginning. Um, so what I love about this project is that because... Um, we are seeing products, new products of uh, coffee quality coming out from these kind of initiatives. Um, we're working with the existing materials that these producers have to hand, such as varieties of coffee and the landscape and terroir, 
and using education and accessibility to education to increase the quality of coffee rather than impart expectations of quality upon these producers. We're seeing really interesting cut profiles coming out of these projects. Um, so we've been buying Microlot, which is very high quality coffees from a select number of individuals there in this group. But this year we wanted to increase our intentionality with the group. So we're trying to find avenues of um, all different types of quality from the same producers. So the high quality coffees, the lower quality coffees, the medium quality coffees, we want to be buying the whole whole lot basically. So we are redefining our range at Tate to incorporate the voices of all producers, but all the, all the quality that these producers uh, produce as well. So one of those coffees is called the Mezcla de Mujeres, which is mix of women. So we've created a blend that's cost effective and high volume for the producers in this group, the women of Copan. And it exists as a, a product that we buy, but also a symbol for what can be achieved when reducing inequities in, in gender as well. I'm interested, you know, sort of talking about sustainability and we're having this conversation about sustainability a little bit on, on the, the borders of our of our conversation. Um, but the way you're using sustainability is very much at a community level and the idea of creating sustainable business so that a, that a community can be sustainable. And I think that's a really interesting shift that's happened, you know, recently that people are really interrogating what they mean by sustainability. It isn't just the environment or um, making sure that you use byproduct waste to re, you know, redo things, or it's not just about getting rid of plastic straws. There's a sort of broader concept that's much more um, rooted, rooted in community, um, which I think is really interesting. And, and to think about how you, uh, what you guys do in terms of telling that sustainable story, I think is quite, it was quite inspirational or even aspirational for other businesses. Um, and But you're very careful about the way you build narrative, I think, at Tate, from, from, what, I, from what I understand, um, and to sort of tell this sustainable story. Um, I mean, I've, I, the first coffee I had from Tate was Gloria's coffee. So every time you talk about her, I'm like, what has she done now? Like, you know, it's really exciting to hear the kind of improvements. Um, but it's never about photos of her or or sort of I don't know it's not a romanticizing is it it's 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 a very careful line that you 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 tell and and that was something that we we did very intentionally and it took a long time for us to to get to grips with how to tell these stories but also do justice to the stories at the same time um there's a there is this strange thing in coffee where we um yeah, romanticize the, the stories behind the product. And I don't think that's necessarily f- fair because as we were talking about before, these ideas of value, the producers don't have access to that that higher-end value that we, we are. But then we use their stories to, to facilitate that high-end value. So what we try and do and what I believe is that because we are subverting the narratives, creating further equity for producers to realise potential and then buying whatever coffees come out of these projects that we've been a part of, we're more fully uh, realising empowerment in our in our coffee value chains rather than buying coffees that X, Y, Z in quality. We're buying coffees that are symbolic as well as uh, products as well. 
And what's sort of the practical things in terms of telling that story at Tate? Like, like what does your packaging look like? Do you have big posters of yeah. people like, this is a story of Gloria? Like, what, what is it in Wait, the cafes I, I, that you see? I have, to, I have to cut in here and ask, who is this Gloria? We need to know this story. So Gloria is um, one of the producers that we've been working with for about three years. Um, she produces exceptional coffee. Her name's Gloria uh, Esperanza Meja. Um, she lives in Copan. Her farm is called Finca Las Palmas. Um, at the moment, we're, we're buying this black honey processed coffee from Gloria, um, which is a, a processing method that enhances body and, and sweetness. And she's got this very unusual variety that grows very well on this little pocket of land that she's taken over from her husband. And um, she's growing coffee to send her, her kid to school. But to go back to your point about... Um, photos in the gallery like we actually have a policy or i i have a policy where we don't use any uh, photographs of the producers that we work with um i think it's a little bit um voyeuristic maybe and it it kind of slightly takes uh, away from the expertise or something yeah i think the the product speaks for itself um we try and talk about that product in a way that is you know understandable and I think the stories that we tell um, don't need... Th- there is a very unusual, um, uncomfortable uh, situation in coffee when you're sourcing coffee and you're travelling to these farms where everyone's taking pictures of everyone else. And often, if someone came into my work and started taking pictures of me and then put it on a wall of a gallery, I'd feel really uncomfortable about it. So I think often we need to think about... You know, we work with... Uh, community like communities and we work in an industry that supports people uh, so we need to treat people as we would want to be treated I think yeah uh, I think this is an amazing story of how you know a, a, a small brand is doing such huge things that that, that brands from any industry could learn from um, the impact of, of diversity and equality um, telling stories in authentic ways um, it's been really, really fascinating to hear um, just what you can achieve if you um, really think about your global impact and how to innovate in a, in a real and authentic way. So I would very much like to thank uh, my guests, Tom Hay and Anne Amazing, and thank you all for listening. And tune in next time for more Future Thinking from Stylus. You've been listening to Future Thinking from Stylus, the show where our analysts, alongside industry thought leaders, unpack the big trends that you need to know about. Find out more about what the future holds for your business at stylus.com. And if you like what you heard today, make sure you subscribe to Future Thinking in iTunes or Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts to hear new episodes as soon as they're available. 